Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, man. We got the spirit of worship here in this place today. I have to tell you that um, I've been doing this a long time, 35 years. The worship and just the singing, the, the, the joy and the spontaneity and the, the actual, um, the body language, there, there's the presence of the Lord is so real that you're just kind of catching his reality conveyed along by the music and the lyrics and stuff like that. And I just want to encourage that. That is wonderful because that sets everything up, right? We've all just been through a week of whatever, who knows? Maybe you had a great week. I hope you did. Maybe you had a terrible week. And so you got yourself together this morning. Maybe you didn't want to drag yourself out of bed or whatever. And you got here. And then you walk into a room filled with that wonderful, rich, encouraging, spiritual music. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Not in this world, right? To actually be, that's, that's what being in the spirit is all about. So I want to, I want to commend you congregation, dear family, for your response. I mean, we even started with a slow song, Be Thou My Vision. I mean, that's hardly a, you know, that's hardly a rocker. That's hardly no, the, the normal song that you would sing, let's say, as a first song out. You know, usually you know, like put a little energy, a little, you know, um, something that's got a feel to it, right? But everybody was right on board with that song because it is, it is such a beautiful song, right? The lyrics are just extraordinary of that song. So we are off to a good start here this morning, and I'm excited to come. We're, I'm going to pick up on a message that um, I shared with you last week. Now we're going to go with the supremacy of the Son of God 3. Yes, yes. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. All right, come on up here. Now, uh, yeah, Lorraine and I, mostly Lorraine, um, ha- has been working on uh, like a marriage program. We, wanna, we, we did like marriage groups for years and years. And then right around COVID, the people that were doing it kind of dropped it. And then COVID kind of put a kibosh on lots of things. And so we haven't really picked it back up. But I really feel it's vital. Even if you have a great marriage, especially if you have a great marriage, it's, you, you might be able to come to the group and then encourage somebody else. So it's not, coming to a, the marriage group wouldn't be an, a, a natural acknowledgement that your marriage is messed up. It's just, it, we all know that we need edification and encouragement, right, in all these things, especially marriage. You know, if you, if we're going to drop the ball. We don't want to drop it there. Let me give you my... Here. Here. And oh, I'm just going to give a little information about it, and then we're going to just give you a, a little show up there to what it's all about. So it's going to be it's, it's um, Victor and Eileen Marks, and it's um, Better Together Marriage Course. And it's going to be um, six weeks' lessons. We're going to start it on Friday, the 23rd, and it'll be every other Friday because it'll be like a half hour video. Then we have lessons. So I figured in a week for you guys to get a lesson together and talk about it, that, that's, that's kind of like short time. So it'll be every other Friday and the six courses. And um, let's see. And we're going to have it at homes. So we're going to start it off with Bonnie and Mark's home. We're going to be at the home. And there'll be no child care. It's going to be a date night. But so if you younger people want to get together and put something together, you really want to come, then you could figure out what you want to do with your children. So that's your chance. <laughs> That's what you got to do. And let's see. All right. Yep. Good, good, good. All right. And let's see. What else am I missing? There, there are parameters on that. All right. Okay. 
Okay. And um, so next Sunday there'll be a sign-up sheet if you're like to come because the people that are hosting it, you know, we're gonna have like a little snack and stuff like that. So they kind of just it would be helpful to let them know. And then we're gonna take turns. We'll see. We're gonna have it at my home one week, and we'll see whoever wants to sign up to have it at their house. That's gonna be, an, you know, something that you could, guys can do too. So here's the trailer, and that's it. All right. Okay. Hey everybody, we are excited to introduce to you a marriage course. Yay! Over three decades of living it, mm-hmm. good, the bad, and the ugly, we're sharing with really the intent to give you nuggets and some wisdom that you can take away. I mean, instantly after every little module. So some of you are watching this and you're like, well, man, our marriage is hanging on by a thread. So we're desperate. Some of you actually pre-marriage where you're watching this going, we want to be best prepared to go into it. And then some of you, you're married and you're just dull. You're in the dull drums. This might snap you out of it. This can really help you move from a striving, struggling marriage to thriving. Right? And that's what God has intended. But it's taken yeah. us uh, in about a lifetime to get to a place to where we not only love each other, but we like each other. And God's been faithful and good. He did it for us, He'll do it for you. Okay. <clears throat> so thank you to my bride for coming up and just kind of really the energy behind this whole thing and uh, it's just kept on looking and searching and so uh, I think this, this can be a very helpful thing. All marriages have their issues. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Come on. If there was ever a great place to say amen, that was, that was it. Right? So, and, and it's just finding our way through this world and learning to adjust and adapt to one another and and taking care of all the many responsibilities that marriage brings and not getting distracted in the process. It's a, it's a long obedience in the same direction, right? But it is, it is the most fruitful thing in this world. It is the one place where new human beings are created, Lord willing, right? It is, that's the great gift that God has given. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be great. Now, back to where I was. See, that happens to me all the time, but it, if you're a visitor here, this I, you know, I'll, I'll get up here and I'll, there'll be like three things that I got to do. I will have forgotten all of them because I'm just like, I'm zoned into this thing here. So thank you, Lorraine, for stopping me. Anyway, back to the supremacy of the Son of God, three. And uh, we, I, I could probably subtitle this, what's so special about Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, what's the big deal? And here's our verse that we... Uh, why don't you stand with, stand with me one more time and we'll quote this scripture. This has been our monthly passage. And uh, we'll quote it together. It just kind of just sets us up. Hebrews chapter one. Here we go, ready? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the fathers to the, I'm sorry, by the, uh, by his, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness, oh, sorry, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself 
purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You may be seated. Thank you. These first four verses in the book of, in the letter to the Hebrews, um, start by establishing the most fundamental truth of the, of the most important, the utmost significance. These four verses are actually really just one long sentence in Greek, and they are about one most important primary consideration. They are about the unique identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in terms of building your relationship with God and growing in your faith, there isn't anything more beneficial than to get a real solid understanding of who Jesus is. The more solid, the more biblical, the more sound your understanding is of Jesus, the more you will find him more and more the, the one who can meet your life need. Yes, forgiveness, and th- that, that's built in, but just, just to know that that there is a God who loves you, that there is a God who cares. This has been demonstrated once and for all through the, through the incredible act of sacrifice on Jesus' part to go to the cross, to bear our sins. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a statement that is, right? What a statement... God made him who knew no sin to become sin itself. He became sin. It was, it was piled all. You know, you have any idea how much wickedness has been in this world? Even how much wickedness there is right now. And we're, we're living in one of the better moments of, of world history. But the wickedness of mankind and the sinfulness of mankind is so gross. And, and so depraved and so wicked, so much death, so much destruction. That's the real story of humanity. But God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what I believe that means is that if anybody ever wants to know if God is good, all right, in all of eternity, we're, one of these days we're going to wrap it up, we're going to be out of here and We'll be with Jesus. Maybe the next crew will come along. Maybe the Lord Jesus, Jesus himself will show up. But one of these days, this is all going to be over. And then we're going to be part of God's ongoing effort. In the ages to come, he might show us the riches, richness of his kindness expressed to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. So whatever God's got for us, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. We are that, it, Again, it's why I believe that uh, there are no aliens. I do not believe in aliens at all because this creation, humanity, was so important to God that he came down and became one of us. And there was a purpose in this. This is going to come up in the book of Hebrews as well. In, in Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider the heavens that you have made, the sun, moon, and stars that you have created, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visited. You made him a little lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set all, um, you have set all things um, under his feet. And he, and he says that in the second verse, I skipped it, but I wanted to go back to it. Right? It says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have established the stronghold that you might still the voice of the enemy and the avenger. You get that? 
Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have established a stronghold. What does this mean? It means that out of the reproduction of human beings, that, that God has chosen humanity itself to be the tool that finally crushes Satan's work. For this reason did our Lord come into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then after Jesus like initiated it and completed it, he just said, now get out there and tell everybody. That's our job, right? Get out there and tell. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing, you know the story. You know the thing. (laughs) Inside joke, right? You know the thing. Anyway, so this whole thing is about um, he's, he's laying the foundation to make it clear who Jesus is because that is the fundamental issue. I was thinking this week, I think I said in the men's Bible study, an important thing for me to say to you as a person who attends this church is this church cannot save you. That's so important. Coming to this church, and you might, you might have walked in there and you like the singing, you like the, 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 the preaching or whatever, you like the atmosphere, you like the people, you like the tone of the place, but this church cannot save you. Only Jesus himself can save you. Christianity is all about Jesus himself, what he did. If we try, if we, when you try to evaluate Christianity on the basis of how one church looks or another church looks or how one church does its business or how one preacher preaches, it always fails because it was never meant to rest on us as human beings. But know that um, in that second verse, right, out of the mouths of babes and suckling infants, you have established a stronghold that you might still the voice of the enemy and the avenger. It is going to be through mankind and specifically through the church of Jesus Christ that Satan will meet his final demise. And he will lose the battle that he has waged here on this earth for the captivity of human souls. He will lose it badly. Hallelujah. So anyway, let me get back to my, get off my soapbox and get back to my message here. Um, So these first four verses, um, they're, they're actually like one long sentence. And over the last weeks, three weeks, I think we've been into this, maybe four Um, we have managed to work our way through a grand total of one and one-half verses. Yes! We're screaming. Okay, and and, and this is the verse that we have more or less found our way through. All right? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, Okay, this is, the, this is the, the fundamental statement. And we know that God has certainly spoken in various times, in various ways. Did you know that God once spoke through a donkey? Right? If you read the story of Balaam, God, God tried to communicate with that guy through the donkey. God had, so so that, that's, that's really what he's saying. Look, God has tried to communicate with humanity all kinds of different ways through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, through David, through Ezekiel, all of the prophets, minor prophets. All of these were means by which God was looking to communicate, right, in various ways at various times. He spoke to the fathers by these various different voices. But in these last days, this is, this is like, this is the big Uh, This is the big story. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay? Now, that places Jesus in a completely unique place, right? When, When he is said to be or proclaimed to be the son of God, that 
that means something very unique about the identity of Jesus Christ, which is what this ch- um, passage in this chapter is all about. That Jesus is, is d- different than us because Jesus is the Son. Let me, let me explain that to you a little bit. Uh, someone may wonder, all right, Jesus is the Son of God. Like, aren't we all? Aren't we all children of God? That's what most people think. Right? We're just all children of God, and God loves everybody, and God loves us all. Is that actually the truth? Well, that, that needs a little bit of a nuanced explanation, because on one hand, yes, we are all. Every race, every tribe, every people, every tongue, yes, we are all the creation. We're part of the created work of God. We are, we are God's children. We are made in God's image. That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, right? We are all ultimately the result of God's creative work, but the creed that we recite here, usually every week, um, kind of teaches us or builds in this important distinction. It says in that one section, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. And I want you to, to note the, those two words in that, uh, in that part of the creed, begotten and made, because that's, that's where all the significance is. Oh, here's, here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. Can't, you can't read enough C.S. Lewis. Okay, here's what he says about this very matter. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. And a bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. But when you make... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, but when you make... You make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest. A beaver builds a dam. A man makes a wireless set, which is a radio, back in 1945. Or he may make something more like himself than a wireless set, say, a statue. If he's clever enough, um, if he's a clever enough carver, he may make a statue which is very like a man indeed. But of course, it is not a real man. It only looks like one. It cannot breathe or think. It is not alive. Then he continues. A statue has the shape of a man, but is not alive. In the same way, man has the shape or the likeness of God, but he has not got the kind of life that God has. We are made in God's image, but we are lacking the stuff that really brings us into life. That is, without Jesus. And that is precisely what Christianity is about. This world is the great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, and there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us someday are going to come to life. Oh, is that, is that tremendous? Right? We are, we are you know, it says in the... Ephesians chapter 2, 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in. God right now is shaping 
our lives. That's what his whole process, and that's going to be a big part of the 12th chapter of this book, because he's going to say, my son, do not um, grow weary when you are chastened by the Lord, for whoever the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. In other words, part of this process is going to be God working on you and molding you and changing you and shaping you because you were designed to be originally like Jesus is. And in Jesus coming to our world, we get a chance to see what it was supposed to look like, what we were supposed to look like. And so right now, we're all the statutes, God's carving, God's doing his work. He's forming us, he's making us, right? But one of these days, these statutes are coming alive, eternally alive, love it. So it says, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and he became truly human. Back to my thought before, which I don't think I finished about the whole alien thing. This creation, and it's not uh, hubris, it's not pride, it's just simply, this creation is of such value to God that he came and became one of us, and this was a plan that was worked out before the foundation of the world. This wasn't like an afterthought, oh my God, they've sinned, what are we going to do now? No, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was all completely worked out before any of it ever happened. As a matter of fact, I had like a little, little kind of thought running through my head this week, and I'm, I'm picturing like the father and the son, because it says of, of Jesus that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word, the word was God. Um, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. You know that whole passage. But when it talks about the word, it, it, it's really saying he, the word was with God, meaning he was face to face. So throughout all of eternity, the father and the son were faced, they were facing each other, they were loving each other. And it was just kind of picture this little conversation of the father kind of breaking it down for Jesus before his creation. And he's saying, uh, we're going to do this creation thing. Jesus says, yep, I know. And when this, uh, when this happens, it's going to... It's going to go south, bad. And Jesus says, I know. And so we're going to have to do something um, within all of this that is going to be the most profound demonstration of our love. Jesus says, mm-hmm. So we, this is what's going to happen. It's going to go on, but then I, you're going down there, and you're going to give your life as a sacrifice for these people. And Jesus says, yep. And so the father says, what do you think about that? Jesus says, here, hold my beer. (laughs) I'll be back. Right? But it's like all of this was worked out before the foundation of of the world and all completely known in Jesus. It was was all completely agreed upon by the, um, so so that's the value that God has of humanity, that he himself became one of us. And that brings us, like it says in, in 1 Peter, that you, may become, that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he partook, partook of our nature and became truly human. And we partake of his nature when the Spirit of God comes into our life, when faith arises in our life, when we are born again, born of the Spirit. And, and so we become a copy of what he was, we now are, we are God-men to some degree, to some degree. We don't, have, we don't have the fullness of, it says of Jesus that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We don't have all the fullness. We're working on it. 
We're, we're getting a taste. That's what we're getting. We're getting a taste, and the more you, the more you say, I, I like the way that tastes, then God will give you a bigger taste. You say, yes, this tastes really good. God will give you a bigger taste. So that's kind of the, the process that we're in. So Jesus became truly human. He is of a different essence. There's even greater clarity provided with, uh, for this side by the inspired writings of St. Paul. And, and, and by the Spirit, St. Paul reaches the same conclusions, although St. Paul is probably dead by the time this letter is written. I had said last week that the date of this letter is probably sometime around 68 um, A.D. It has to be, it's likely before the 70 A.D. That's when the temple was destroyed. That's when Judaism was obliterated. And none of that is mentioned. Actually, the writer here goes into all the sacrifices, priests, all kinds of Old Testament things that I would think of all those things that happened um, that would have received some kind of attention or some men- uh, mention in this letter. So here's what Paul writes. Um, and Paul died it's in roughly maybe give or take two years. I don't know if anybody's absolutely certain. Sometime around 64 AD. So here's what Paul writes in in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's got that same idea, uh, the same idea that we found um, in the book of Hebrews. There's, there's just so much content in these few verses that it's, it's, it's hard to um, get to it all because it, it, they are so rich with spiritual truth. But we'll do our best. We'll, we'll probably make it through another half of a verse or two, you know, something like that. We'll, we'll plow our way along. Now, um, the, the terms image and firstborn are really important in this whole thing. The, 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 the term when it is used, firstborn, has caused some confusion among different uh, Bible interpreters. And there are certain groups who do not accept the fact, you, you can see very clearly in the passages that I've presented, and there are many, many, many more, that Jesus is God. He's the creator. He's the one that made all of this. <clears throat> At the same time, he goes on to say, God has appointed him heir of all things, through whom, by the way, he, he also made the worlds, who being the express image of his glory, and, and the express, um, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, purpose, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and then he compares that, what, he, what Christ accomplished to the angels. But the, the whole idea is that the, it, is ne- it is necessary that we understand that Jesus is God, Jesus is creator. If you're wondering, or let's say if you, if you yourself have not made any decision about where the place of Jesus is in your life, if you, because it says you know, he came to his own, his own did not receive him, but to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to as many as believed in his name. So it is essential. No one can receive Jesus for you. This church can't save you. The only way you can be saved is to receive Jesus for you, for yourself, 
as your Savior, your Lord. I, I, I'm pretty sure we all understand this, but it is important to clarify it every once in a while because that is what salvation is, a connection with Jesus, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This is important. Now, that term, as I mentioned, that term firstborn has caused some confusion. There are different groups, quasi-Christian groups, uh, groups that at least define themselves as Christian. Take, for instance, the Mormons. Okay, the Jesus of, Mormoni- of Mormonism is the brother of Lucifer. Now, Lucifer, now you'll never hear that or see that on a, on a um, commercial for um, LDS or... But th- that is the true doctrine of Mormonism, that Je- Jesus is the, o- is the older brother of Lucifer, and there was contentiousness about how the world was going to be saved and what was going to go on, and Jesus volunteered to come to earth and, um, you know, be, be the redeemer. Now, if he's the brother of Lucifer, Lucifer is a created being, right? So that must mean that Jesus is a created being, and that takes the whole that pulls the rug out from underneath the whole thing. If Jesus is just another created being, he can't save you. His death means no more than your death. But if he's God and he offered his life, which he did, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll be able to pick it up again. I have learned this from my father. He laid his life down. Actually, the way to see it, I know I've said this before, the way to see, hey, isn't that great that we took the clock down? (laughs) Huh? How about that? Huh? I know you all get a cell phone and three watches there. I see, I see people. You know. But when, when Jesus went to the cross, it was not like something that he didn't want to do. I mean, he, he didn't want to, ex- to endure the ordeal, right? But, and I think the real thing he was concerned about in the garden is that there was going to be a break in the fellowship. Jesus had never had a break with his fellowship with the Father, right? And then on the cross, that's why we read in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, right? Jesus had never had a moment throughout all of eternity that he was not face-to-face with the Father that he loved, the Son of his love together with the Father, dwelling together in perfect unity, perfect harmony, and, and that's the foundation, that, that's at the core of the universe, right? And so when Jesus goes to the cross, it is not that he's going reluctantly, He's going to take it on. In other words, he's going to attack death. And the only way that that could happen is somebody had to kill him, right? That was the, because that was the only way that it could be demonstrated that death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him, as we sang. You know, you have no rival. You have no equal. He, he took on death to show that he could destroy it. Like it says in, in, in this very book, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, so he likewise partook of flesh and blood, that he might destroy, <clears throat> that he might by his death destroy death and release those who were all their lifetime afraid um, of death. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting that exactly right, but it's saying he took on flesh and blood because we are flesh and blood, and through this flesh and blood, he was able to take on death, and through taking on death, he was able to be victorious over death. So now nobody who is a believer has to worry about death. It's nothing we're looking forward to, but it's true. You don't have to worry about it anymore. When it's <clears throat> like one guy says, man, you can't kill me. You could just change my address. 
right? Well, you and I will live forever when Jesus is, goes to Mary and Martha's house and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will, or the, he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says to her? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So <clears throat> where was I? Okay, so the Mormons, brother of Lucifer, no. That's, that's, that is one of the real major problems, and you can, you can test to see if I'm right. You can look anywhere you want, but that, that is the doctrine of Mormonism about who Jesus is. And if you ever want to know whether a group is spiritually right or not, just ask what is their doctrine, what is their Christology, what do they teach about Jesus? If they do not Jesus, teach that Jesus is the unique God-man, that he is um, the second part of the Trinity, something wrong. Okay, every, because the church is only here for one primary reason. We are here to exalt Jesus. We are here to show the world that this God who came into this world to save us and has released us and has now liberated us and has written our name in his book, that he is a good God. He is a faithful God. And that's what I was saying before. If anybody ever wants to ever know whether God is good, all they'll have to do is ask any of you. In all of eternity, say, hey, hey, Laura, come over here. This guy over here wants to know, I just created these people over here. They want to know if I'm good. Well, talk to them a little bit, right? And, and right off the bat, we, that is our message, that God is good, that God is a redeeming God, God is a forgiving God. Oh, man, so many things to say here. So many things to say, so little time to say them. Anyway, so, um, oh, how about Jehovah's Witnesses? That's another one. I won't go off on this one, but the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is, in fact, Michael the Archangel, so, again, it's a denial of his unique identity, and that's the thing of Jesus. We are in this world to lift up and exalt Jesus so that the world may know. If, if he's lifted up, he said he will draw all men unto himself. Oh, got to move on. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's examine what is meant by this idea of the image of the invisible God. Okay, image is a major topic in the Bible, image. And it's a big topic for, for us here in our world, too. You remember the, uh, the advertising campaign back in the late 80s? I think Andrea Gazi. Image is everything. Remember that? And that, that's, that's, a, that's a real, um, that's kind of a, a philosophy of humanity. Image is everything. We're all concerned about the image. And by the image, we're talking about, like, what is the perception that people have of who I am? That's the image that we all project. But the, the sad part is that our human image idea, this projection of who I am, is a fraud. It's a total fraud. It's a construct. It is the, the person that we present ourselves to be. I'm, I'm, I'm especially talking about persons who do not know the Lord yet, okay? Just us as natural human beings. We kind of cobble together some kind of an identity. I like some of that, and I like the way that dress, that, that kind of clothing looks, and you know, I like this. And, and so we kind of cobble something together. We become more or less a bad copy of many bad copies. 
So this is, how we, this is how we arrive at an identity or an image, but it's a fraud because we really don't have any real identity. When you peel away the layers, we, we will come up with some f- superficial tags to define or to, scri- to describe ourselves. We'll say, well, well, my name is so-and-so, and I was born in such-and-such, and I'm this by nationality, and I do this kind of work. These are the kinds of ways that we answer the, who are you? Right? But all those things are superficial. They could all change at any moment. The truth is we really don't know who we are. We're lost orphans down here planted for finding ourselves in a world and trying to figure out where do we belong and what is this all about and how, what am I supposed to be doing? That's the kind of confusion that we are born into in this world. And, and, there, and, and when you get to the, to the inside of the onion, there's nothing. Our idea of image is much more about who I want you to think I am. You with me? So I will, I'll cobble together, I'll, I'll put together some, I'll put on the happy face or the best, you know, whatever, because I want to be liked, I want, you know, I want to be able to relate to people. But in reality, this, this whole idea of image, and especially it was, it was so captured in that, in that uh, commercial um, series, you know, image is everything. You know, so it's all about how I look and what kind of clothing I wear and then all this kind of stuff. But in reality, our whole image is nothing but a fraud. <clears throat> At our core, we have no idea who we are. We don't know where we came from. Now, I'm talking by nature, right? Just walk up to somebody, he knows nothing of the Bible. We only know anything important about ourselves because the Bible has given it to us by revelation. Otherwise, if we didn't have that, we would have no idea who we are. And we would just continue to do what we had always done, fight and fight and kill and war and all the stuff that just is characteristic of human history. So in reality, none of us knows who we are, but the Bible gives us um, revelation. But notice this. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows where he came from. Jesus knows what his mission is. Jesus knows where all of this is going. And he knows where it will wind up. Now, I could easily produce texts for every one of those thoughts. Jesus knows who he is. He, he knows where he came from. He knows what he's here to do. There's no, no doubt. At 12 years old, 12 years old, Jesus is, his, the parents, you know, they've gone back home. They're on their way back to Nazareth. And no, nobody's seen Jesus for a little while, but they're not worried yet. And then all of a sudden they realize he's not with the caravan. He's not with the posse. And so they, they, they go back, and where do they find Jesus? 12 years old. Well, Jesus is in the equivalent of something like Harvard Divinity School. Okay, he's hashing it out with, with the heavyweights there in the temple. The, the greatest rabbis, the greatest scholars of the Hebrew Bible, they, they have studied this like nothing else all of their lives. And here's this 12-year-old kid, and he's... He's going at it with them, and they're amazed at the wisdom that they find. And so when they come back and they say, what are you doing? Didn't you know we were looking for you? He says, didn't you know I got to be about my father's business? He knows. That's, it's, I'm, that's what I'm trying to really underscore, the difference between us and our lost human nature and the, and the broken, marred, twisted, messed up, corrupted image, which was originally there, Right? We were made in the image and likeness of God. That was originally the intent, but that whole thing got corrupted. It got shattered. Blue screen of death. 
files are unusable. It was destroyed through the act of rebellion and disobedience because none of that lives in the heart of God. There is no rebellion. There is no disobedience. And when we chose that path, we chose in our, in, in, in our feral head of the human race, Adam himself, we fell at that time and became corrupted and subject to something the Bible calls death. God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You will surely die. So they ate. Did they die? Oh, yeah. They didn't die physically, so that can't mean physical death. They didn't die soulishly, right? What, what, was the, what was the death? The death was they were now separated from God, Jesus, divine. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The things that are said of Jesus could not be said about any other person who ever walked the earth. John chapter 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All th- um, the same was t- um, in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And so it, right off the bat, it, it, it says that Jesus is the creator of the universe. Now that can't be like, maybe, maybe it's, you know, it's partially true. You either are the creator of the universe or you are not the creator of the universe, but that is not a statement that you can equivocate about. <clears throat> so the things that are said of Jesus could not be said about any other person who has ever walked the face of this earth. There is no middle ground. Here's a, here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is great. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There is no neutral ground. See, people think that they are on neutral ground. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really a Christian. I'm, really, I'm not really a church person, all that kind of stuff. But I'm not, I'm not a, a devil type person. So we, we tend to think we're in the middle. No, there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral place to be. You are either with Jesus and on his side, or you are against him and fighting against the ultimate victory of his kingdom. So, um, <clears throat> here's the breakdown of what the, the writer of Hebrews means by identifying Jesus as the Son. Let's see if we get these things right. Oh, there we go. Jesus is the brightness, the radiance of God's glory. Oh, what time is it? Oh, okay. Well, I like this no clock thing. <laughs> now, I want you... We'll have you out of here before 2 o'clock. So we'll get you home by the Super Bowl. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus is the brightness, the radiance of God's glory. The Greek word that is used here is the Greek equivalent of the Jewish word for glory, which is Shekinah. Okay, now you remember, remember or if you've read the Old Testament, you know what the Shekinah was. The Shekinah was that presence of God, the real manifest glory of God that dwelt in the temple in the most holy place. God dwelt there between, you know, on, on where that, where that, um, um, that thing was that they, they, what am I, Ark of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, God dwelt in that place, and that's where his, that's where, the, where it was. Now, this is saying of Jesus, he, Jesus is the brightness, he is the radiance of God's glory. Um, Shekinah literally translates as the, the divine presence, as it was in the Old Testament tab- tabernacle. The writer is literally saying that Jesus is the divine 
presence of God. He is the radiance. Jesus shines forth the glory of God. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, this is what they saw. They saw in Jesus something that, they had, that nobody had ever seen before. They saw his glory. We beheld his glory. And so Jesus is the brightness. He is the radiance of God's glory. There's, I think this is where we want to, um, yeah, there's, there's a, a wonderful analogy to this. And the analogy would be like the, the relationship of sunlight to the sun, okay? The sun is this massive ball of helium, which is burning at an unbelievable temperature 93 million miles away from us. And we walk out and we feel its warmth, we feel its heat, and all of its energy causes all things on our planet to, to grow and thrive. Um, but if you look at it, if you look at it directly, you will, you will blind yourself. You will damage your eyes. You cannot look directly at the sun. And that's kind of similar to the Father. You know, no one has seen the Father at any time, but the Son, he has revealed him, John chapter 1, verse 18. So no one has seen the Father. No one can see the Father. No one could look at the Father. If, you, if, if, if God were able to be seen, it would kill us all, that kind of power. So no one has seen the Father. But Jesus is like the radiance of, of light that comes from the sun, where all the benefit is. And you know, we don't really see the light that's all around us. I mean, the room is full of light. We don't really see the light itself. We just see the things that the light illuminates, right? It, it, the, the light reveals things, right? It says of, it says of Jesus, uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And another translation says the darkness did not comprehend it. He was the true light, which gives light to everyone coming in the world. So Jesus is, again, if we use the analogy of the sun, where the sun is something that, well, should I tell that joke? You heard about the... uh, um, Polish astronauts and put a whole presentation together. They were going to have the first manned mission to the sun. So the scientific community comes together and all these, you know, very important people and they give the whole presentation and it's all done. One, you guys are crazy. You you can't, you can't uh, land on the sun. You can't have a manned mission to the sun. How are you going to do that? And the Polish scientist said, "Ah, that's where we got it. We're going at night. <laughs> you know what the words of the first man who ever landed on the sun were? Ow, 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 ow. So stupid. All right, all right, we're getting, we're getting silly now. We have to wrap it up. But anyway, in him was, Jesus shines forth the glory of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It, the, the, the real uh, Greek word there is he tabernacled among us. He is that living presence. He was in the world what the Old Testament tabernacle was. It was the place where God resided or abode. It was the the place where God's presence was, and that's the same thing with Jesus. And then I'll have, I got time to just put this one up here, and we're going to have to get back to it next week. But, I, I mean, isn't this just incredibly rich? 
truth, right? It's, it, just, it just feeds your spirit. Jesus is the express image, the exact representation of God's person. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I think we gotta press the pause button, but I, I can, we can sum up the whole thing. What's the big deal about Jesus? Everything. It is all about Jesus. Everything was made by him, and it was made for him, and that includes you. And that's why it is so essential that we submit our lives before him, submit our, our plans, our futures, our hopes, our dreams, all of it. We just take the whole package, just lay it there at his feet, and say, Lord, do what you want to do with my life. And he will. He will. He is, as a matter of fact. He's doing great things through so many lives here, so many families here. God is doing wonderful things, great things through the church. I'm, I'm so blessed by all of it. So our, the big deal of, of, about this message is make sure you got it right with Jesus. That's the most important thing. You make sure that your heart is right w- with Jesus Christ. Let's, let's conclude in prayer. He is the image of the invisible God. That's next week, let me just whet your appetite a little bit because that whole idea, we're gonna go through that idea that we were created in the, in the um, image of God, but then that thing got so destroyed, but Jesus came back down, and that's why scripture is so clear because we don't know it, what it, we don't know what we're supposed to be. We don't know how it's supposed to look, so we, we, we like create all kinds of crazy ideas about how to live life. And most of the time they're wrong if they don't have, if they're not aligned with the word of God. We're just wrong time after time after time, thing after thing. So Lord, we thank you that you came into this world to reveal the Father to us. And we can know all that we need to know about the God of our creation. We can know everything that we need to know about what our destiny is in you. We can can know everything that we need to know. We can learn through you. Anybody who has seen you has seen the Father. So thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself. We bless and praise you for your great act of mercy and love and compassion for each of us by taking on our sins and turning it around so that we become the righteousness of God in you and through you. Glory to God. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So we thank you, Lord, that you are accepting accepting applications, so to speak. You are receiving all those who come to you. And we thank you, Lord, for this great saving enterprise called the Church of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that our names are written in in that book. And man, do we have a great future to look forward to. So continue, O Lord God, to work here. We, We praise you for the presence of your spirit in our midst. We praise you for the encouragement of the word that's in our midst. We thank you for one another and the encouragement we receive from one another. Thank you for for your work of keeping us on the path. Keep it going, O Lord God. Give us wisdom to be healed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's good-looking people said...